All right, if you would be turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, we'll be in verses 14 through 21 this morning. As you're turning there, let me give you the key truth that I would love for us to walk away with. God calls us to graciously witness a Christ-like emotional intelligence inside and outside the church by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Let me say it again. God calls us to graciously witness a Christ-like emotional intelligence inside and outside the church by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Let me pause for just a second. For those of you who are wondering, emotional intelligence. Have we gone soft around here? Is this some sort of pop psychology? Uh, Emotional intelligence isn't in the Bible. Let me also remind you the word Trinity is not either. And emotional intelligence is not a bad concept. Has it been twisted and misused as all truths are? Yes. Is it something that we can learn from, especially when you qualify it with a Christ-like emotional intelligence? You bet. And we as Reformed folks need to talk about emotions a little bit. And we also need to talk about emotional intelligence and how we come across. Wouldn't hurt us, I don't think. And this is for the life of the world. And in in addition, it is for our joy. One of the ways that we get to experience the beauty of the gospel is seeing it impact someone else, right? To, To be able to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep, know how to weep in circumstances that truly call for weeping, not opinionating. And so this, I hope, will be a help to us. Now, emotional intelligence has a thousand different definitions. If you were to look it up on the old internet, which is where most of us go, you shouldn't probably go there first, but that's what we do. But for our sake, what I mean by it is that we, if it's going to be Christ-like, is that we are other-oriented and that our response to the other is appropriate to their need right? It's other-oriented in toto. If their need is eternal life, it should frame and form how we respond. How are you going to bless those who persecute you if you don't care about their eternity, right? And in addition, we should also care about their sanctification, right? And, And the fact that they are built up, encouraged, and edified if they're a believer, so that too should frame our response, But too often, how we choose to respond is really what we prefer and what we think is best for us. We are self-oriented, which, by the way, is not a reflection of the gospel. That's a reflection of fallenness. I didn't just say you're not saved. What I am saying is you need to grow up. Me too, by the way. If you think my emotional intelligence is always blue perfect, you're wrong. Uh, and, And sometimes I do it with a high hand, which is even worse. And so, may we all, in the power of the Holy Spirit, grow because of God's Word. So, let's give attention to the reading of God's Word and see what He has for us. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. For the contrary, if you're, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. All right, now as we step into this, I want to ask you a question. I want you to put a little thought into it. Not for too long, because we've got stuff to do here. But how emotionally intelligent do you think you are? Now, why do you think I phrased it that way? Because a lot of times we're just not aware, are we? How many times have you thought, man, I, I think I really helped that person with what I said. I think I really helped them see how ignorant they truly are, which is everybody's longing, right? Please help me be less ignorant from you, right? Is that how we go around interacting with each other? Spouses, parents, children, friends, neighbors, fellow countrymen, as it were. We often have a higher view of our emotional intelligence than what somebody uh, that's not afraid of how you're going to punish them for their honest response. Now, even the fact I had to say that means something. Right? And so, so it is, this is an important thing in which we can grow in. I think that we assume, because it sounds like the word IQ, EQ are in the same vein, that what you have is what you've got. You can't improve on it a whole bunch. It's kind of downloaded in the system. The world's just going to have to adjust to you. No. Emotions are something that can be uh, fashioned further into the image of Christ. Right? Uh, there, there are ways in which we can get better at being concerned for the needs of others. And, and, and if we couldn't, then sanctification is in vain. You understand, sanctification is us growing more Christ-like, and that would include our emotions. That our emotions would be in phase with who we are in Jesus, and that we would be more other-oriented. And so, if I, if I were to ask you how you're doing emotional intelligence-wise, what would you base it on? Your internal opinion? How accurate do you really think that is? Because again, other, and you may say, well, I can't help it if other people are dumb. Well, right there, you just showed your emotional intelligence. It's pretty low, actually. Because that, again, that's a low view of the image bearing of others, correct? Because they bear the image of Christ. I don't care if you can give me specific data that proves that most people are dumb by your lights. That is still not the way for us to look upon those who bear God's image and who uh, long for, hopefully, eternity with us. Paul's already told us, you need to be humble in how you view yourself. You need to be sober-minded. Part of sober-mindedness is to take stock and to long for a greater Christ-likeness, right? And, and some, some of us could use a little improvement, myself included. And so Paul's going to step into, he's continuing the list that he started. He's going to begin to apply... Uh, this to harder circumstances, right? That first, let love be genuine, that, that sounded pretty hard, but it was fine as long as it was, it's with people you like. But if you're going to let love be genuine, and remember what Jesus said. What did Jesus say about those who love their friends? Well, that's easy. You want to follow me? You want to look like me? You got to love your enemies. Love them. So how did he display his love for his enemies, which, let me just pause and remind us all, 
we were all numbered as enemies to him. You understand? From those of you who were the, the nicest person that you think you've ever met, to those of us who recognize I am not the nicest person you're ever going to meet. We all were enemies. So what is it that he did to display his love for his enemies? Got to be one Christian in this room. He died. In fact, in fact, the way he says it, I think, is very important. He laid down his life so that they would get their just due, right? Why did he lay down his life? So that they would have life more abundant. So they would never taste of the judgment of God for their sins, but that he would taste it in full. He drank the cup of our wrath to the dregs so that we would never taste not one drop. Do you understand? And so if that's what's been done for us as enemies, and we are here to display Christ's likeness, does it not make sense to us that Paul and Jesus would say, love your enemies. Because God's enemies are whose enemies? Ours too, in some measure. We got to be careful with that language because again, this is where our emotional intelligence starts to do some weird things if we're not careful. We tend to call people enemies that, that disagree with us, that don't think like we do, that don't vote like we do, that don't, don't spend like we do, that don't live where we do don't act like we do, don't obey like we do, don't follow commands as fast as we do, right? We tend to think those are our enemies. No, not necessarily. It's the folks who are enemies of God. But again, you have to take your cues from how Christ displayed the emotional intelligence even of God. He loved his enemies too. We're not being saved from God. Remember, we're being saved to him, by him, and for him. And so when Paul is going to say what he's going to say next, let love be genuine is still a key foundation to what we're reading here, to what we're hearing from him. And in addition to that, uh, if we were to pay close attention, a lot of this stuff, he's just pulling from Proverbs. They're quotations from Proverbs. So he's telling us how to live a wise life. Wisdom has always mattered. It is actually wise for you to bless those who persecute you. Not super spiritual. It's just wise. It's just actually smart in the kingdom economy. But not to our notion of these things. Which is why we need the spirit and we need to grow in these things. These are matters. This list, as I've reminded you before, will be a great list for you to pray for your own sanctification. To take each part and say, Lord, would you help me? And I don't know that you should try to do all, all of the verses. You should probably break it up in parts and let the Lord work a little bit along the way. But watch for how the Lord can shift your thinking and acting and speaking. What a gift it would be to not only the church but the world to have a group of Christians whose first response to a tragic event is not to post anything until the Spirit of the Lord has given them wisdom. And if they post anything, that they would actually have the courage to ask someone else, do you think this is wise before I hit send? Most of you are like, I'm not fixing to do that. I know, I'm grown, do what I want. You can, but should you? Especially if you're trying to grow, especially if you're wondering, 
How am I measuring up to some of this stuff? As Christians, we should fall silent before tragic things. First and foremost, weeping that it is so in a fallen world, and then seek the Lord as to how to creatively and hopefully engage the circumstance. We are too quick to speak. I'm teaching a seminary class, uh, just started this past Thursday. One of the practices that we have in the class is when we read scripture, uh, the first thing I have them do is fall silent. I don't want to hear their immediate opinion on John 1. Not because they don't have good things to say or they might not have great observations. We'll get to that. What I'm trying to teach them with just two minutes of silence, which you all know, two minutes feels like an eternity most times. Right? You're wondering sometimes when Josh does the confession of sin, did he fall asleep? Is this going to ever end? Oh. Micah did it, and it was like he, it was like he don't know what two minutes is. He, he gave us three. But, but I give him two minutes. You may, you may not think it's much, but it's just that act of the first thing we're going to do after we read God's word is we're going to fall silent in humility and listen. And then, and then we'll give our observations. And so in the same way with these, these things that go on in the world, we, we would do well to learn in humility that our immediate reaction may not be the most emotionally intelligent. It just may not. And so as we step into this, let's hear what Paul has to say to us and pay close attention to what he's calling us to do and be. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now, you guys are pretty smart. What, what do you know about repetition in quick succession? What does it indicate? Gravity. And it also tells you it's probably going to be hard. If I got to tell you twice, very quickly, I'm, I'm, I'm signaling to you this is not going to be easy. It's a gracious thing to do sometimes to make sure people understand. Now, look, before you go rush, all right, bless those who persecute. Got it. I'm going to bless them by not punching them in the face. You're blessed. I'm going to bless them by not, you know, opening a can on them. You're blessed. No, not the same thing. You, you got to relax. You got to think through. You got to pause and really recognize this, this is not the absence of action. In fact, in the Greek, it is a call for positive response and action. In fact, he's going to tell us some more things later on about how we are to respond to our enemies. We're to find out are you hungry? Are you thirsty? That's hospitality. We're supposed to be hospitable to those who persecute us? It's crazy. But it's what Christ was. Think of how many people he allowed to sit at his table. How many invitations he received, meals he ate with folks who were not in accord with him. And yet he wanted them to, to know he loved them. Even if you were to count Simon the Pharisee, if you remember, he invited Jesus to a meal. And he was testing him the whole time. He didn't offer him any water for his feet. He didn't offer him any kiss of greeting. He offered him nothing. And the Holy Spirit sent a woman to wash Jesus' feet with her hair. Which I don't have any, so I don't have to worry about that kind of thing. But you, can you imagine the intimacy? This man refused and the Lord provided and it became an opportunity for Jesus to call for Simon the Pharisee not to burn in hell. This man was persecuting Jesus. And he let him know, this is the way to heaven, Simon. And this is where you are. And this is where you could be. 
And so, when it says, bless those who persecute you, this is much more involved. It is something we probably need to be talking about, especially in an age in which we are so intensely divided and it doesn't seem to be getting any better by the day. Instead of buying into the division and participating in the division, we need to be those who are asking, how can we be peacemakers? Not, not those who roll over. Do you understand the most powerful thing you can say to tyranny? What's the most powerful thing you can say to tyranny? Is it no with a gun in your fist? Well, no, because plenty of people said that, and we don't know who they are because they got vaporized. The most powerful thing you can say to tyranny is, Jesus is Lord, and you would do well to repent, knowing that you may lose your life for that kind of statement. And you need to say it in a loving fashion, longing for them to actually be part of the family, not Jesus is Lord, and you best repent because he's about to tune you up. That's not for you to say. We are ambassadors of reconciliation. We are not prognosticators of doom. Too much of how we speak sounds like we would rather people burn than be redeemed. This does not fit. And so the emotional intelligence here is to recognize that someone's eternity is at stake. And if their eternity is at stake, that should matter to us as our persecutors, that they would be redeemed. That should be our greatest longing for them. Now, is that easy? Is that easy? No. No. And are you going to, here's the problem. Is it going to just happen natural for you? Do you? Should you wait until somebody is persecuting you actively to try to figure this out? You're going to be too late, I'm afraid. Now, the Spirit can do amazing things, but, but I, I think we would be wiser. We would be wiser to figure out how to be more proactive about this and be prepared for it because what is promised to us as God's children in a fallen world? What will you do? You will suffer. Either the, the effects of the fall in terms of just aging or, or some sort of medical circumstance or direct persecution from someone else. Because there is a genuine I hate to use the term war because it's not really a war. We know from Revelation 19 and 20 there's no war. We're actually, we're actually the cleanup crew in the sense of we're to help people realize who they are as God's children. We're not here to make sure people know that they're going to die. Our job is to help them see the beauty of the gospel. Everything else will take care of itself, which actually Paul says here, does he not? In the sense of vengeance is the Lord's, not yours, not mine. And just so you don't think I'm speaking down to you, I, I don't like this verse at all. None of it. Right? I don't. I would rather, now give me another few years and I might soften a bit, but I would rather let might make right, as long as I'm mighty, by the way. As long as I got the jump. One of the students in class, he's a Ugandan student, been in the country for about five months. In the first maybe 10 or 15 minutes of class, he said, he said, I, ha I have an observation, not a question. I said, okay. He said, uh, in listening to you talk and, and experiencing your presence, uh, I am convinced that you were in a Latino gang and you own a pit bull. 
And he said, do you own a pit bull? And I started laughing. I said, no, I don't. I said, but you ain't far off, Doc. I'm from South Atlanta. And he laughed. He's like, yeah, that makes sense. And so, <laughs> and so that kind of thing can make you kind of feel like, oh, this dude thinks I'm in a Latino gang. I can start wearing my shirt buttoned at the top. I, you know, it can really get real around here. That's not what the, the Lord has not called us to that sort of might. We don't, we don't judge with the fists. We are called to do something that the world can't understand. To lay our lives down for our enemies in some form or fashion. I know, I know for many of you, because this is not how we earn God's love, but how we display the profound nature of it in our lives. This is where you really show that you are saved. Jesus said it that way. You can love your friends. You, you can love the people it's easy to love. And that's great. Do that. Don't forget to do that. But where you really display me is that you love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. And notice, there's not even room for cursing. It's not bless them and if you can't, curse them. No. Bless and do not curse. And he goes on, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This, again, is a great display of emotional intelligence. This is from the Proverbs. You don't sing songs to a heavy heart, right? How often have we hurt people who are hurting with just garbage theology? We mean well, but we're just not reading the room like we ought. And sometimes we should take a page out of Job's friends in the early stages, just be present and be quiet and get something to eat, maybe a glass of cold water, and just wait. And the Spirit will make it clear when, when it's time for you to speak something and seek the Spirit to offer something up. But don't try to resolve the circumstance with unwise statements that really are just about you because you're uncomfortable. Right? And then it goes on. Live in harmony with one another. Again, this is not, do you all know what the word detente means? So a detente is just like, hey, we just agree. We're just, we'll, we'll just not talk. Is that living in harmony? Would, would those of you describe your marriage when you're not talking to each other, do you think that's harmony? No, it's not. It's not even really peace. It's just the calm before the storm. And so this is not that, this is harmony. This means that we actually are pursuing one another and that harmony, the thing that harmonizes us is union with Christ. We are bound in Christ and the things of Christ. This is, again, not something that's easy. It doesn't come natural to us. We have thousands of opinions that divide us. We have one eternal man that unites us. He goes on to say, and as part of this, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Now, I want to be careful here with this term lowly. It doesn't mean just the poor. It means anybody who cannot benefit you in return. In Roman society, it was, a, it was one of these societies that uh, was all about, I, if I help you, that then raises the stakes. You now have to help me at a greater level, right? So if I, if I, if I bring beer to your house, you, you got to bring scotch to my house. And I just used that. We could have gone with food or some other things. And that's the way it should work. Does it not work like that? No. 
But it was a kind of society where it wasn't really about helping each other. It was about outdoing one another, which is why you hear Paul say so many times, if you're going to outdo each other, outdo each other in love and zeal. Don't outdo each other in the things that don't matter. Associate with the lowly. So in their society, children would have been one of those that would have been considered. What, what can a child give back to you? And listen, I'm a grandparent. I was playing with Maverick this morning. I get great joy from the children of our church. But, but that's intangible. That's a, a separate benefit. This was a society that was all about commodified exchange. Does this sound like America at all to you guys? It does kind of to me. And so, and so you would associate with folks purely because they bore God's image and it was a thing to do. And as we will see later in the service, we've got four children coming to the table who were baptized, some of them in this church, uh, some in another PCA church. Um, and, and so they're coming to the table because the investment that many of you have put into their lives in and through our children's ministry. Remember, 40% of our church is 17 and under. That's the mission field that the Lord has entrusted to us primarily. We need second through fifth grade to take care of our elementary school kids. We don't currently have enough volunteers to be able to do that. Trusted to us, he's going to ask, what did you do with what I gave you? And if the children of the church are too low for us, if they just really don't matter that much to us, then we've got a problem. That's haughtiness. And this could be applied in lots of other places as well. But for us, the most eminent place would be children's ministry. Now, if you've got no business being around children because your emotional intelligence is horrible, let's, let's let you get sanctified first and we'll work on it later. But for many others of you, we need your help. The children of the church, it's not even need. It's, it's we get to. It's a great gift. And I'm thankful for those of you who have stepped up for kindergarten through first grade. And so he says, associate with the lowly. Don't, be, don't think too highly of yourself. And then never, I love this. What's, what's the word never mean? Never. never. <laughs> and in the Greek, guess what it means? Never. Never. Not once, not ever. Never be wise in your own sight. What does that mean? How many times have we talked ourselves out of what the Bible is telling us? Now, I'm going to go ahead and give you a little preview. Next Sunday is coming, probably the verse that you all actually, a bunch of you really don't like. It's the call to submit to the government. And you may say, I mean, uh-uh. I mean, a revolution like that. And I can't tell you how many people have come up with all kind of different circumstances by which we don't have to do that. Let's just pause. Did, does 13 abrogate 12, 14? Bless those who persecute you? Is, is that bless only individuals? I don't, I don't have to bless a govern, like, a, like a governance that persecutes. That's different. And it's in the Greek. You just can't see it. No. Now, are there some ways in which we are to wisely think through what submission looks like? Are there places where we can push against some things? Well, that's next week's sermon. I want to preach it now. But I, I want you to be ready. Because there's some things you're going to hear you're not going to like. You're already hearing some things you don't like. This bless those who persecute you nonsense. I don't like it either. But it's the gospel. And it's what Jesus did for us. And we need to recognize that. He goes on to say, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought, 
Did you hear that? That's emotional intelligence. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if notice, he didn't say act. He said give thought. What does that mean? means before you go expressing your opinion, you need to take some time in the spirit, in humility, to recognize you automatically don't know the right answer. Not flat-footed. Now, I'm one of the quickest people to speak. I always know what I'm thinking. You can ask me anytime. You can ask me my opinion on anything. I will barely take a breath. That's not always good, by the way. We need to take thought to do what is honorable, because if you're having to not repay evil for evil, what does that mean you have endured? You have endured evil. And he goes on, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, for many of you, you're like, all right, now I, this verse I kind of like gives me some options. It, you know, as much as it depends on me, but if you're going you to act a fool now, that's on you. And I can act any way I want in response. Is, is that, did, we, did we lose some of the rest of the verse? So just in case that's what you're thinking, listen to what Paul says next in great wisdom. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. What does the word never mean? Never. It's the same Greek word that was used previously for the word never. Never avenge yourselves. I don't like this either. Right? There's a meme that's kind of funny. It's, it shows a book that's this big, right? And it's thousands and thousands of pages. And it says, finally, somebody published all of my revenge thoughts from the shower, <laughs> right? Or how many arguments I've won in the shower. Like, you know, think about how we perseverate over these things. Like, yeah, man, I wish next time I'm, I'm gonna handle this different. That, that's, that's not what we're to be. We're not to be a people who are about revenge, who are about persecuting in return. Who, and so I understand you've got questions. And it's funny how we run to the extremes, right? Before we've ever even asked, like, what does this maybe look like? I don't know, just normal stuff as opposed to Hitler or Stalin or a home invasion. That's, that's like the one everybody runs to, like, all right, home invasion, though. Okay, I understand. That's a different... There are, you know, tail end of the bell curve circumstances we have to process. But let's, before we rush to those, let's just talk about, I don't know, you're being on the internet or uh, how you treat your neighbor, or how you treat a coworker. Let's start with what's really more of the everyday reality. And he goes on to say, after he says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, this means that God is wiser than us. If you read this and you say, all right, so this means that anybody messes with me, God's going to kill them. Is that true? Um, who's writing this letter? What'd he do? He was a terrorist. And, well, not really. He wasn't viewed as a terrorist by the government, but by the church he was. The government was fine with him because he kind of kept things in check. But... He had innocent blood on his hands. And so this is not immediately to say God will kill them. No, God in his wisdom will figure out where his wrath should fall, whether on Christ or truly, justly on the individual at the end of time. 
And he goes on to say, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. This is a quotation from Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. It doesn't mean what you think it means. It can't by virtue of what we're talking about. Because if it means, all right, I'm going to give this dude a sandwich and God's going to light him up, right? Enjoy your sandwich. It's the last one you're ever going to have. No. No, that's not what it means. Actually, what it means, and in, in fact, it, a lot of the proverbial wisdom was drawn from lots of different places. There was a saying in Egypt that if you were to help put burning coals in a bowl on someone's head, it was evidence, it was a visual depiction of their repentance. In biblical vernacular, remember how the coal was used for Isaiah. He said, I am a man of unclean lips. How was it dealt with? Was he destroyed before the throne of God? No, because we got the rest of Isaiah after chapter 6. What did the seraphim do? He grabbed a coal from the altar. He took it and touched it to Isaiah's lips and did what to them? Burned them off so he couldn't speak no more? Had to... Now he's a man of pure lips. His repentance was responded to with the purification of God in this way. You want to heap burning coals on somebody, what that means is not their destruction, but their redemption. This is their purification. This is you welcoming them into the family and saying, I love you, even though you hate me. Just like Jesus did to us, every single one of us. And so he then concludes with this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Nietzsche has a saying that, uh, remember, when you stare long into the abyss, and if you pursue a monster, be careful that you yourself recognize that the abyss stares long back into you and that you yourself don't become that monster. Is this not what we're witnessing in some of the videos that are being shown around in some ways, culturally, that we've seen recently? That those who've stared long into the abyss that are pursuing monsters themselves are not becoming those very things in some measure? Are we, are we maybe in an uncareful way becoming because of what we think is going on in the world uh, this rumors of civil war, this rumors of a tyranny that requires a populace like it's, like it's 1774 or 5 to, to rise up and take over? I don't know if you know, but revolutionaries tend to be really bad at everyday governance. And they probably, just like in Afghanistan, you probably won't have clean water, internet, or anything else for a while. So be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you become in, in terms of the things that you're staring into. Is scripture forming you? Is Christ's character forming your emotional intelligence? Or is it some secret knowledge that you think you have found in some book or some idea or some part of the internet that you now trust is not in some way just I don't know, some AI writing stuff off the rip. 
Be careful, people of God, that we look more like Jesus, and to do so means we will suffer. It is part of union with Christ. We will have opportunity to bless those who persecute us because sooner or later it will come. To fight against it is to fight against our very own sanctification. Again, if you think I'm saying something that I'm not saying or you are wondering what I mean, come talk to me. Bring your Bible and let's sit a while and become more like Jesus as a result. Where I am speaking in a way that's not like Jesus, I want to be formed. And you should long for the same. This world needs a gracious witness. This world desperately needs a group of people who have an emotional intelligence that looks like Jesus. The other day I was in a restaurant in Macon, Georgia, and overheard this conversation speaking of emotional intelligence. The waiter said to the guy that runs the place, he said, hey, were you just talking to your dad? The guy goes, no, my father's dead. The guy goes, oh, didn't slow him down one bit. Okay, well, then who was that guy you were talking to? It was my mom. Oh, interesting haircut. Why are you still talking, dude? Like, I almost wanted to step in and be like, hey, man, I, I specialize in these kind of things. Here's my business card. Can we talk for a second? How often are we... Not just like that person. We just keep trying to talk our way out of it instead of just being okay, recognizing that sometimes the Spirit shows you you're just wrong. And we need to grow. Don't be afraid to grow. None of us are fully Jesus, right? Don't be afraid to, to in some form or fashion, suffer in that process. All growth is hard. And so I, I have included this prayer from Eugene Peterson, who's gone to be with the Lord it's a simple prayer. It's a beautiful prayer, and I would encourage you to take it and pray it in some form or fashion, if you would. But this is part of his uh, praying with the Psalms, um, and he says this. Almighty God, judge of all the earth. Keep me from ever supposing that I am the judge of others. Did you hear that? Do you have the courage to pray that? You're like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sharp now. Nah, I need to, you don't want me to not judge. Because the world will be less for it. At least you'd be being honest. Maybe that's the beginning. Keep me from ever supposing that I am the judge of others, deciding their worth or conniving in vengeance. My job is to sing your praises and love my neighbor. Help me to stick to my task. And for Jesus' sake, amen. So how have you, and this is something you can celebrate today as part of God's goodness to you, but how have you been blessed by the gracious witness of those living out a Christ-like emotional intelligence? How have you been blessed by somebody speaking a word fitly spoken in due season is one way. How have you been blessed with just the presence of others in the midst of suffering where their presence was, was a gift and their silence even greater? How many of us have benefited so richly from the banquet of gifts that the Lord gives us in terms of other people in the church? And then, and then this is an important question as well. What are some ways that you can grow as a gracious witness who lives out of Christ-like emotional intelligence for God's glory, your joy, and the life of the world? 
you can do this. I have, I, I, I have, I have, if I should say so myself, uh, grown in some ways from an emotional intelligence and I'm still seeking to do that. It's like, uh, it, my wife's not here to testify, but you'll have to check with her on this. But there are times she's like, like she'll say, I can't believe you said that. And I'm, I'm like, well, but you don't know what I didn't say. Like I held back a whole bunch of stuff. So you're welcome. That's not exactly the kind of growth we're looking for, by the way. But let us be a people who recognize that how we act and conduct ourselves emotionally in response to others ought be more Christ-like. And for those of you who would rush and say, yeah, but what about, what about like Jesus when he's like telling people they're like brutal vipers? I, that's more my speed. I'm like whitewashed sepulchral guy. You know what I mean? I'm that part of Jesus. Be very careful. Jesus knew when to say those kinds of things and the impact it would have upon his hearers to draw them to him. Too often the way we do it shoves people away in hatred. Is there a time to be angry? Oh, 100%. Paul would tell us, Psalm 4 would tell us, you gotta learn how to fight though. Before you go getting angry, let's, let's maybe master some of the other easier emotions first. And so Romans 12, 14 through 21 teaches us that God calls us to graciously witness a Christ-like emotional intelligence inside and outside the church by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. This is not just for the church, it is for the life of the world. 